This podcast brings us to one of the most complicated subjects of our course, the Revolutions of 1848. As I said in the last podcast, the Revolution of 1830 in Paris was one of the foundations for the next revolution in Paris, which was in 1848. As you recall, Louis-Philippe turned out to be a disappointment to the middle class because eventually he started to act more like the traditional type of kings who were not listening to the middle class. And as I said in the last podcast, the middle class figured that if there were problems that needed to be solved, why not have another revolution? But what the middle class did not figure out is that there was a new class that had been created by the Industrial Revolution, and this was the proletariat. And we need to define what this class was and explain how it played a role in the revolutions of 1848. A proletarian is a worker who owns nothing except for the labor that he sells for a wage. A wage worker, in other words. This was a new type of worker. It was created by the Industrial Revolution. It's based on an old Roman word, an ancient Roman word, which referred to the fact that some workers had nothing to offer the city except for their offspring, which was their prolis. But in the Industrial Revolution, these were the industrial workers. Now, these workers were becoming attracted to new ideas, not liberalism, but socialism. And one of the ideas that we associate with socialism, which is actually a subset of socialism, was communism. Communism is a type of socialism. But whereas all communists are socialists, not all socialists are communists. So we needed to talk, talk about the ideology of the proletariat, namely socialism. Now, socialism was the idea that liberalism is a selfish ideology because it focuses on the, what is good for the individual rather than what is good for the whole. And according to socialism, the government should not just allow selfish individuals to compete with one another in order to get rich as individuals, but that the government should help protect the interests of all individuals and that people should care for one another. Now, in principle, what socialism really means today is it's the belief that the government should own the large businesses of the country, whereas the small businesses may continue to be owned privately. And the idea is that you cannot trust the businessmen to look after the interests of everyone, whether that be the consumer or the worker who works for the business. But in practice, socialism, again, means government ownership of industry when that industry is particularly large. Now, it could mean government ownership of all businesses. But if we're talking about that version of socialism, that version of socialism is called communism. 
where no private property is privately owned, but it all is owned by the government. Now, in France, the socialism wasn't very radical at first. It basically meant that the proletarians wanted to have some say-so over government, and they wanted the government to protect them from the abuses of the Industrial Revolution. But the failure of the Revolution of 1848 was going to lead to the origin of a more radical form of socialism, which we call Marxism or Communism. Now, again, the middle class began the revolutions of 1848 in order to overthrow Louis-Philippe. It was just that simple. And they started the revolution in 1848 in February, and it was quickly a success. Uh, They created a new republic. Liberal constitutions were granted, and very soon revolutions began to pop up in other European cities, such as Rome, Vienna, Berlin, And these revolutions also were initially successful, but again, you must remember the the revolutions of 1848 were failures in the long term. But initially, they got liberal constitutions too. But by the summer of 1848, the proletariat was attempting to take the government away from the middle class. They came very close to doing so. But the only reason that the bourgeoisie was able to hang on to power was because of the Catholic conservatism of the peasantry in the countryside. It turns out that the poor peasants could not make alliances with the poor industrial workers against the liberals because the proletarians did not believe in God, whereas the peasants were conservative Catholics. And this split between the peasants and the industrial poor was going to divide France well into the 20th century. But it helps explain why the liberals were able to just barely hang on to power. But they were so frightened by what had happened, the liberals, that they turned to a new president who would, they think, protect them from the wild radicalism of the industrial working class. And this president was none other than Louis Napoleon, the nephew of Napoleon Bonaparte. So Napoleon, Louis Napoleon, was going to be the new president, and of course he really wanted to be a monarch, and soon he would have the chance to become a monarch, and he would seize that chance, and the Revolution of 1848 in Paris would take a turn back to monarchy. So, you see how the Revolution of 1848 was a disappointment to all of those people who were sympathetic to the lower classes, or even the middle classes. Uh, two men who were sympathetic, sympathetic to the lower classes, the industrial workers, were Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. And in 1848, they wrote the Communist Manifesto as a re- reaction to the failure of the revolutions of 1848. Again, communism became an idea that predicted the 
overthrow of the middle class, the bourgeoisie, by the proletariat as something that would be inevitable at some point. And we'll look at the idea of Marxism in a future podcast. Now, the consequences for the friends of the bourgeoisie was that the bourgeoisie forswore revolution from this point on. That is, they they said they would never again try to make a revolution. And therefore, if you were a nationalist, the only people you could look to for assistance were the aristocrats, because they were willing to use violence to achieve nationhood whereas the bourgeoisie had forsworn revolutionary violence as a result of the danger they could see from the revolutions of 1848. So by 1851, all the liberal revolutions of 1848 had failed, and an aristocratic, anti-liberal series of monarchies were restored to power. Liberals would never again support revolutions, whether they were national or otherwise. People who wanted their own nation had to switch their support to the aristocratic monarchists who alone were willing to use violence to forge nationalism. Liberals had to consider supporting these monarchists as a counterweight to the proletarians. These changes were particularly important in the areas of Europe that were seeking nationhood and had not yet achieved it namely the Italian states and the German states. The strength of nationalism and the support for nationhood by monarchists and aristocrats, and only monarchists and aristocrats, would cause Italy and Germany, when they came in as nations during the 1860s and 1870s, to become aristocratic, monarchist, anti-liberal, and therefore anti-democratic. So the timing of when nations came into existence was very, very important. Nations that came into existence before 1848 tended to be liberal, whereas nations that came into existence after 1848 tended to be aristocratic, monarchist, and anti-liberal. Such were the factors that made the revolutions of 1848 so significant. In our next podcast, we will start Unit 4. Until then, happy history musings.